Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Mike Schmitz. He's a product, he's the product director at Asian Efficiency, a writer for the Sweet Setup, an author, and a musician. How's it going? It's going great. Thrilled to be here. So uh, you, you write for a couple of very cool blogs. I Asian Efficiency does a lot of cool stuff, and the Sweet Setup is kind of like when I have money and I want to go buy something cool. It's one of the first places I stop. Um, <laughs> so this uh, writing, you also authored an entire book called Thou Shalt Hustle. Um, was there, let's first, let me ask you, was there a uh, natural progression from blogging to writing? Uh, yeah, actually, it kind of worked inversely because... Um, I got the idea to write the book and I would not have considered myself a writer at that point. But because I'm really smart, I figured that if I was going to write a book, I better figure out how to write. <laughs> so literally what I did when I started to write the book is I started a personal blog and I uh, started getting up early because that's the only time I had in my schedule with four crazy boys at home to uh, get an hour of writing in before I went to the office. So I was starting to get up at 5 a.m. And I was doing that only for a period of about two weeks when Asian Efficiency, which is a blog that I'd followed for a while, posted on Twitter that they were hiring. At the time, really wasn't interested in a, uh, a full-time position, but approached them about guest posting. And uh, one thing kind of led to another. And I am now a full-time with Asian Efficiency as of last July. So I've just been there over a year. And I'm now a product director. And what does product director entail? <laughs> product director sounds probably a lot more impressive than it really is. We're a pretty small team. So everybody's involved in the product development, but I'm kind of in charge of roadmapping the products that we're going to develop and what specific customer needs we're trying to fill. Uh, so we're working on one right now, for example, around the email. You, like uh, actual, like you're building an app or what is, what is a product for you? <laughs> it's really like a, a video course most of the time. Okay. Uh, we do have some other different types of products, but uh, mainly video courses, which show people an effective way in this case to deal with email because it's a way bigger problem than most people realize. I read a statistic the other day that said that the average U.S. worker spends 6.3 hours per day dealing with email. So it's kind of teaching a methodology to how you approach email, which is fundamentally different than the default most people, you know, they pull out their smartphone, they check it 110 times per day. They look at the email, they say, oh, I got something important in there, but I don't want to deal with it right now. So it sits there and you repeat the cycle when you, <laughs> when you check it again. So it's really trying to get people to spend less time in their email so that they can do the things that are really important to them. Yeah, I, uh, I did a Macworld talk with uh, David Sparks on email wrangling. I am shocked at how many people have over a thousand unread messages in their inbox. <laughs> But, okay, so yeah. let's go back to writing. So you were working on the book before you started at Asia Deficiency? Yep. And productivity was always kind of an emphasis of mine. Uh, it really ties into, like, the whole thrust of the book is it's a, uh, specifically because of my personal belief system, a Christian approach to productivity. For me, it re revolves around the idea that I think God takes uh, stewardship in particular uh, really seriously. And so, um, like my personal beliefs that when I, 
uh, when I die, when I go to heaven, when I meet my maker, so to speak, he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? And even if you don't consider yourself a Christian or have a religious belief system, that principle, I think a lot of people can relate to. So that was kind of my lens that I approached productivity from. And then uh, I started writing along those lines and it was uh, pretty synergistic with a lot of the stuff that Asian Efficiency puts out. And in fact, when I approached them about guest posting, they said, we really don't do that, but if you have anything, send it over. So sent them my blog and they saw some of the articles that I'd written and they're like, yeah, there's a lot of synergy here. We can tell we've got a lot of the same mindsets, read a lot of the same books. We want to give this a shot. So that's kind of how I got uh, lined up with Asian efficiency. And okay. So does your uh, religious bent on productivity show up on Asian, Asian efficiency? No, it, it doesn't. But the reason I like working with Asian efficiency is that they have a set of core values, which even though we don't share the same religious belief system, line up very well with my core values. And so two, the, their first two core values, which you can find on their website, first one is glow green. Basic idea is we want to become the best version of ourselves uh, that we can so that the second core value is pull others up. So it's all about helping other people, as we say on the Productivity Show podcast, do more and be better. Okay. Yeah, I can see that lining up. My, uh, We'll actually dive into the, the faith questions in a little bit. but um, So yeah, I'll hold off on that. Um, okay. So thou shalt hustle came out when it came out, I I believe it was last February. So about a year and a half ago. And how long did it take to write? (laughs) Uh, it took me, it's a good question because I didn't really dive into it right away. Uh, once I, got serious about it. It probably took me seven, eight months to finish it. Uh, and I probably could have cut that down, uh, further, but I tend to be a perfectionist. And so the last couple of months were me editing and revising and realizing that what I changed was actually worse than what I had originally. So eventually I was just like, I just ship it. (laughs) Yeah. I think everyone hits that point. Eventually. I think, um, perfectionism can be a terminal disease if you let it go too far. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Also results in not ever shipping anything. (laughs) Right. Um, All right. So as part of this kind of uh, writing and productivity plan, you have an off-site office. Like you're self-employed. I mean, you work from home. We'll say that. You're (laughs) full-time, you know. But you don't go to an office for your job, but you have one anyway. Tell me about how that happened. Yeah. So I've got uh, four boys at home who are eight, six, four, and two. And really in order to get anything done, I realized that I needed uh, a change of, of, uh, of a scenery, change of environment, um, where even if I put on, you know, noise canceling headphones at home, someone's going to bust through the door and, uh, uh, it's, it's just not conducive to, to focusing. If I were to try to record this podcast at my house, there's no way it would happen. So, uh, I got a little office. It's probably eight by 10 and, and it's, uh, an upstairs office in a, an old 
building uh, in Nino, Wisconsin. So it's a small town and this is a very old building, but this is kind of like, I call it my bat cave. <laughs> There's a nice coffee shop uh, downstairs, which I actually used to frequent when I would go right before work. And so this office came open and uh, I approached the, the owner about it and I've had this office now since October and I love it. I'm not here all the time, but whenever I need to just dive in deep on something and really crank on a, a project or I just need to focus for a little bit, this is the perfect place to do it. There's no windows. So it's an internal office. So I literally go in here for short periods of time, get my work done, and then you know maybe go downstairs and, and grab a coffee. But I uh, really just needed the place out of necessity. So there weren't a whole lot of options in my area. Nina's probably about 20,000 people and the whole Fox Valley area where I, I live. It's, it's not a real metropolitan area. There are no co-working spaces. So um, this was uh, the best option for me. So how is this Batcave furnished? <laughs> I've got a sit-stand desk. It's a Jarvis, uh, I believe, from Ergo Depot with a top that a friend of mine made out of reclaimed barnwood. And then it's got just a couple pictures on the wall. I've got uh, my recording interface, got an external monitor, that I hook my MacBook Pro up to, and I've got a clicky keyboard, but that is about it. <laughs> so it really is kind of a, a cave or a closet. I feel yeah, like it's it, it's really my attempt to eliminate all of the clutter and the distractions. Yeah, and and I get that. I uh, I have a messy office at home. It has not been clean to a point of looking tidy for a couple years now. I kind of got overwhelmed by it. I don't have any kids, but there are times I feel I might be more productive in a closet. <laughs> yeah. Closets are also great for recording podcasts, by the way. <laughs> I've heard that. There's a, in my office in the, at the back end furthest from the door, there was once a small closet and I, the doors there, it never had a door since I moved in. But so it's basically like a small alcove or cove. Um, so I coated the inside of that with soundproof foam, set up a small desk there with a Mac mini. And for a long time, I did all of my podcast recording in that corner just because it was really good audio space. But I really missed my nice standing desk with three monitors. And I've slowly stopped going over there. <laughs> it reduced in sounds, frequency. <laughs> sounds pretty cozy. <laughs> it, it is. It's still there. I just, now it just holds my server for the house and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have any acoustic foam here, but the space is small enough that don't have a, a whole lot of, of echo. Um, but I, I do, I actually did have an office down the hall from here that had a window, which overlooked the uh, main street in, in Nina, which really isn't. <laughs> it's not like there's a ton of traffic there, but every once in a while you get, you know, an occasional truck going by, uh, and really just you hear noise. And I constantly found myself getting distracted looking out the window. So this is, uh, after trying a lot of things and jumping between a lot of different places for a while, I was just going coffee shop to coffee shop. Uh, this is the ideal spot for me. I think I've toyed around with building an office in my basement, uh, cause we have an unfinished basement and there's space to do that. But I just don't think that me personally, I would be able to make the mental shift to say, okay, yeah, now it's time to get work done. 
on a consistent basis when I'm home. See, I feel like with no windows, I would freak out enough that I would be thinking more about leaving than working. <laughs> I take it you're True. not claustrophobic. Uh, I guess I've never really thought about that. I mean, I get why this office might drive some people crazy, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't consider myself claustrophobic. The idea of being stuck in a small space doesn't really thrill me. You know, watching micro and dirty jobs crawl through all those those spaces, like that kind of creeps me out. <laughs> I don't think I'd like that. But yeah, this this works for me. I'm, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, it's not an ideal situation. It's not where like, oh, I'm in my office. I'm happy. But it's the kind of thing where it's just enough agitation that I want to get my work done. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just wired weird, but it really seems to help me create that motion to overcome procrastination on some big projects. And then I can set a timer, like a Pomodoro timer or something, uh, crank out my task, and then I can step out and take a little bit, little bit of a break. Yeah, that, I, I could maybe make that work. I think the timer would comfort me a little bit, knowing that I could eventually get out. Who knows? Yeah, Pomodoro timers are amazing. Are you a, a full subscriber to the Pomodoro system? I... Uh, I don't mean yes as in no. like you pay I, for it. <laughs> no, I, I do implement it, but not like every single day religiously. I'm going to do eight Pomodoros sort of a thing. I do have a very nice Pomodoro timer on my desk, which I actually thought about making one of my three picks. It's called an Essington timer and it's, it's glass and it's got, uh, it looks like an hourglass timer, but the, the stuff that's inside of it is not sand. They call them microbeads. So it creates this soothing white noise. And then uh, the idea or my my implementation of it anyways is like, I'll flip this over, I'll start going. And then I won't even notice when it ends. I'll Once I start going, once I say I'm only going to work on this thing for 20, 25 minutes, then I'll usually just stay head down in it and make some, some significant progress. And then I'll notice, oh, hey, the timer's done. I can take a break now. Yeah. Yeah, see, I have to take the break every 20 minutes. Otherwise, it, I will just work through and then defeat the purpose of it entirely. <laughs> Which is really the way you're supposed to do it, so right. it's not bad. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the timer is kind of comforting in and of itself. I, I, I like um, grids, I guess. Um, all right, so let's see. You Oh, I, on the acoustic foam issue, I was going to tell you, if you ever decide to do that, and for anyone thinking about podcasting, if you want the full, like, stick-on-the-wall acoustic foam, uh, always look for it used. Uh, e- eBay or even, like, music sites usually have a refurb section. Because the stuff can cost you, like, 50 to 80 bucks a f- square foot, which is ridiculous. And uh, if you find it used, I think I did about let's see six by like a six by eight foot section of my wall uh for maybe 80 bucks total um so there are also you can find these baffles that can mount on a boom behind your mic and they're about two feet wide and they have the foam inside them but they're only maybe a foot tall but it's just enough to put behind the microphone to reduce any echo I've seen those and I've thought about getting one of those in the past. Do those, uh, have you used one of those yes. in the, the I, past? I, I own a couple. 
Um, so they're, they're effective. You'd recommend them. I, I would, if you're in a room where there are acoustic issues and you just can't EQ them out later, uh, it is a very good solution and at 50 bucks, it's worth it. Cool. However, you sound great right now. So whatever you're doing seems to be working. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've got a, like I said, a small office and then I did recently upgrade my microphone. I uh, got a Heil PR40, which I absolutely love. I'm going to add that to the show notes and check it out myself because I'm always interested in new mics. Although I'm very happy with this one, but oh, I have too many mics. I've been giving <laughs> giving them away to friends. Anyone who says, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. I'm like, hey, I got something for you. Um, so, four kids, all boys... Uh, you the two four six eight every two years we procreate you seem to be on a very <laughs> strict schedule there is this a religious thing or just ha- happenstance no no uh it's <laughs> it's happenstance <laughs> um in fact the last one was a bit of a surprise so <laughs> well it's um, according to schedule it would be time right now do you have anything yeah no okay nope nope <laughs> yeah i believe that uh that we are we are done <laughs> four is enough i yeah yeah that's four too many for me but i'm impressed that <laughs> that you handle that and in addition well, the coolest to that thing about having the coolest thing about having kids though is that you get to do all of the stuff that you used to do when you were growing up and it makes you people don't look at you weird they think oh that's a that's a cool dad like i get to play with legos I get to help my kids. I, I was listening to an episode I think you did with Georgia Dow where she brought up uh, Bitsbox. We use that yeah. too. So I get to code with, code with my kids, you know, and create the, the little games and things in the, the browser. And that's a blast. I, I love having a built-in excuse to do that kind of stuff. The other option is to not have any kids and not let people see <laughs> you playing with Legos. That's true. That's it's worked true. for me so far. Um, okay. So in addition to having four kids, you also homeschool them. Tell me what that entails. (laughs) Uh, well, it really comes back to, like I mentioned earlier, uh, our core values. So, and it's not just a, a, a religious thing, but my wife and I actually created core values for our family based on who we wanted to become. We believe that having having a vision, having goals is really important. If you aim at nothing, you'll tend to hit it every single time. So as we were thinking about, you know, what do we want our life to be all about? You know, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, habit number two, begin with the end in mind. What do you want people to say at, at your funeral? Like we created five core values that we try to live our life around uh, and I'll go through them real quick here. I think I sent you a picture too, so you feel free to throw that in the show notes if you want. But um, first one is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one, give selflessly by finding the need and meeting it. Uh, Third one, lead courageously and always stand for the truth. Fourth one, impact the culture and leave your own legacy. And number five, determine to be different. Don't settle for average. As we looked at the whole education system and people that we knew, uh, people that lived in our neighborhoods who never even questioned, like, is this the best thing? They just, this is what you do. You send your kids to school. And having boys in particular, like, 
the quickest way to get them labeled is to ask them to sit at a desk for <laughs> a long period, uh, a long period of time. That's just not the way that they're wired. Lab- labeled so, as what? What does that mean? Well, I know that there are like you've mentioned some of your struggles with uh, ADHD and stuff like that, and I know that there are a lot of people who uh, one of my podcast partners, Joe Bulig. Um, that I do bookworm with, like he talks about it as like a race car brain. He struggles with that too. Like you do have to kind of figure out how to overcome some of those things. But I think that that label gets applied really generally to boys who are just boys. Like if you were to ask my eight-year-old who is really bright, I mean, he can sit down and he can, he's taught himself how to code and he can do all of these things. But if you were to ask him to sit down and do basic stuff, uh, in a cl- in a typical classroom setting, he wouldn't be able to do it. And we just wanted to put our kids in a position where at least at the beginning, like I'm not, we're not saying that we are never going to put our kids in, in school, but just where they are right now, we look at the, the system and we look at who they are and how they work, how they're wired. And we just were like, this is not going to work. This is not going to end well. So what are the alternatives? Um, if that that makes sense, it does. Where does uh, religion fall into the homeschool curriculum? Well, obviously, I mean, we have our core values. Our n- number one is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is ultimately going to be the most important thing from our perspective. But uh, that is going to become part of the the curriculum. But it's not going to be indoctrination. If that makes sense. It's not just saying like, we're your parents, we're telling you this stuff, you have to do it this way. We try to approach it as like, this is how things work and we deconstruct things and we explain the reasons why. So it's not just, this is something that we always do, but this is why we always do this. This is what has happened in our lives. These are the things that have happened in our lives that have led us to the point where this is what we believe. And then we want to instill things into our, our children, principles that they can live the rest of their, their lives by because at some point, obviously they are going to go do their own thing. And I think that's where a lot of people who have a religious background miss it is they try to, uh, they try to, cause I, I grew up, I was homeschooled too. So I had a little bit of this where you try to protect your kids and you shelter them from certain experiences, certain things that's not going to work, but you can give them the information and give them the principles that they can discover for themselves. They can put it into action and they can see the results for themselves. And then they can use that to frame their own decisions about whether they want to go do this thing just because everybody else is doing it sort of a thing. Um, but that's, that's really our approach to it is we want to instill principles while they are young, while they are impressionable, not just because mom and dad said so, but helping them discover what lies beneath the surface so that that can then guide their decisions, but they're free to make their own decisions as they grow up and as they become more and more independent. How far into what lies beneath the surface do you go? And by that, I mean, do, are, do, do they see a balanced view of all faiths or just yours? That's a great question. Obviously, it's going to be probably biased because of our uh, our views. Um, that being said, we are definitely not Westboro Baptists. We're not. Uh, we're not going to talk down to anything or anyone else. Um, but 
our personal story is going to carry more weight because of the things that we've gone through and the things that we've, we've seen. Uh, my wife's mother actually was uh, miraculously healed of, of cancer after some people prayed for her. You know, so that is going to obviously uh, color our perspective, but it's not, we're not going to present it in a way where like, uh, you cannot even go over here because that's taboo. Um, they're, and they're young enough yet where a lot of those questions, those harder questions were, how do you, how do you, uh, um, how do you marry these, these different principles, these different, different faiths? Like a, a lot of the exposure they have in our, our community, uh, in particular, there's not a ton of diversity here. So that's not something that we've really had to dive deep into yet, but it's something that I've gone through, my wife has gone through, and I'd like to think, obviously time will tell whether we do a good job with this or not, but I'd like to think that we can provide a balanced viewpoint when that time comes. I will tell you from my personal experience, I do not have kids and I'm not offering any advice to parents, but the lack of or the slightly distorted view of other religions I was raised in as an evangelical free Christian. Um, once I began to discover things for myself and the contradictions that I found between the way I was raised and what exists in the world and what other people believe eventually led me to completely remove myself from religion. Um, so I would, I would be careful about, you know, like making sure your kids know they have a choice in faith and then giving them the information to hopefully choose a faith that works for you. But eh. it's, a, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, and the- it's a sticky area because no one else in my family had the reaction I did. I'm, um, a black sheep in my family. I think it's a personality type, but Sure. And one thing you said that was really important is like you saw the contradictions and that's where I think a lot of people miss it is they try to just gloss over those contradictions. If you see something that is out of place and you bring it up in a typical religious upbringing, you, you excuse it, you brush it under under the rug. Whereas I would like to say, yeah, that's a really valid point. Now let's unpack that a little bit further. Let's dig a little bit deeper. So what is actually happening here? And then once you know what is actually happening, make your own decisions. But I just, I think that a lot of people miss it because they don't, they don't take the time to really address those issues with their kids. And I would like to, I would like to do that no matter what decisions they end up making about their faith. All we can really do is try to put them in the best position for them to be successful, not and success is not necessarily uh, having the exact same belief system that we have, but teaching them to learn, that's really important to us, is we want our kids to become lifelong learners so that even though they may leave our, our house, and they will at some point, that it doesn't stop there. Their journey is going to continue, but they're going to have the skills to deduce for themselves what is really important and what is really happening and make educated, good decisions based off of that information. That's fair. I'll, I'll let you have that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, if you've ever used the words uh, because God said so or because it's in the Bible, uh, those can come back to bite you. Yeah, that's about the worst thing you can do in my opinion. (laughs) Also, telling a child that masturbation is a sin will eventually lead to conflicts for anyone who enjoys orgasms. (laughs) I'm not going to pry. I'm not probing you on that one. I'm just, I'm saying that was uh, actually a huge factor in my early um, rebellion against the church. Yeah, sexuality is a uh, a whole nother topic. Well, and that. it varies from church to church, even within a religion. Yes. It varies from youth pastor to youth pastor. Um, but it led to a lot of conflicts in my life. Well, it's another thing that, like, typically religion doesn't want to address a lot of those questions, which, as a young male, you are going to have. Like, kids want answers. And when you, all you can say is, no, don't do it, it's bad. <laughs> That's not that's not good enough, <laughs> especially when no, don't do it as bad is based on Old Testament, uh, like early Jewish law and statements about the, you know, like misconstrued statements about the body being the temple of God, things like that. Yeah, that eventually <laughs> definitely bites people. <laughs> I'd like to take a quick break to thank Smile and Text Expander. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander. Speed through repetitive typing tasks from email responses to writing blog posts while keeping everything customizable. You can use Text Expander to eliminate boilerplate drudgery. Text Expander is perfect for sharing consistent answers on a support team and consistent marketing messages across a whole company. Transform that repetitive stuff into knowledge, share it with your whole team, and make everyone more productive. Text Expander for Teams now includes group statistics. So you can see how much more productive your team is and which content you use most often. Try Text Expander free for 30 days. Text Expander subscriptions include software for Mac, iPad, iPhone, and in beta, Windows. Visit smilesoftware.com/systematic for more info and thanks again to Smile and Text Expander. All right. Well, okay, so we're we're at a halfway point. Uh, we can stop uh, debating child rearing and religion. <laughs> which i almost feel bad about but not really i have i have opinions well, i i kind of figured that that the, the, that this was a possibility i mean that's one of the reasons i love systematic is that you uh you ask questions that a lot of interviewers typically wouldn't answer and it makes the show way more interesting so i'm completely <laughs> fine with that <laughs> so normally we would move on to the top three picks now are you ready for that yeah what uh, what would your first pick be? My first pick, because I am a coffee geek, is the Caflano Coffee Maker. Can you spell that for and me? And this, yeah, C A F F L A N O. Okay. And the the URL is caflanoshop.com. This is a travel thermos that combines pretty much the entire pour over method minus the hot water. So the top part of this acts as the kettle. It's got a little hole in the side so you can do uh, pour over. And then uh, below that, there is a, uh, a burr grinder that you can adjust to manually dial in the, uh, the settings that you want for how fine you want to grind your beans. And then there is a, a cone, a mesh cone filter, which uh, if you're familiar with pour overs, this is like a kind of like a V60 sort of a thing. And then underneath that is the actual uh, 
container where the coffee will drip down into. But the whole thing uh, screws together, and it it looks it's a it's it's a definitely very portable uh, uh, portable thermos. Uh, it's a it's a little bit bigger than uh, maybe a, a one thousand milliliter uh, water bottle. But uh, I throw it in my suitcase whenever I have to travel along with some beans and make my own coffee pretty much wherever I go. What, you don't like hotel drip coffee? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> I have been, I I have been to, packing my uh, own as well. I used to always just like Yelp wherever I went to see if I could find a good place. But sometimes I couldn't get transportation or there wasn't a good place nearby. And or, so, you know, or places like Backstock where there's just nothing. <laughs> True. Yeah, actually, I did find a place not too far down the road. Was from it there in a called, strip mall? Yeah, it's called the Conscious Cup. Yeah, so we found that place next year. Okay, yeah, that is, it was pretty good. Um, but I did bring my Caflano as well. So, <laughs> so um, how many coffee gadgets do you own? Uh, probably too many, especially if you ask my wife. But I have, <laughs> um, I've got an electric kettle which you can set the the temperature on. I've got a Chemex, a V60, a Kalita Wave, an AeroPress, and this Caflano. So I've got way too many ways to make coffee. <laughs> so when you're at home, do you primarily use the Caflano or do you kind of have different gadgets for different moods? The Caflano I pretty much use when traveling. I use either the Chemex or the V60 most of the time at home. And this is how big of a geek I am. I actually uh, get my beans from either Ruby Coffee Roasters or uh, Kickapoo Coffee Roasters, which both of them are, are local in, in Wisconsin. And based on where they're getting their beans, I dial in specific settings for the specific beans and then we'll brew it in one of those two methods based on which one I think tastes better. Give me the names of those roasters. Ruby and Kickapoo? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kickapoo, yeah, is just like it sounds, Kick-A-P-O-O and then Ruby is uh, yeah, R-U-B-Y. Cool. Um, yeah, I've been moving around. Right now I'm getting uh, Thrasher coffee beans, which are quite good and a little bit cheaper for me than the blue bottle I used to get. Actually, I used okay, to, yeah. what was, it was something else before blue bottle acquired it. Um, it was Tonks. Tonks. <laughs> yes. I love Tonks. I have a Tonks t-shirt. Um, <laughs> but jealous. Then I always wanted one of those prices have gone up. <laughs> and so Thrasher has been really good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I use mostly my AeroPress. And sometimes my Chemex. I especially use the Chemex if I'm making coffee for more than one. I have a five-cup Chemex. Um, but for the most part, I've like honed my AeroPress <laughs> skills to a point where that's <laughs> where I feel I can make the best coffee, given I have good beans to start with. Yeah, the AeroPress is a great little contraption. And uh, this is... I guess not one of my top picks, but there's a great app called the AeroPress Timer. Yes, one of my favorites, can, actually. <laughs> yeah, they've even got a watch app. Yep. <laughs> so you can load up the uh, the recipe, and then it'll tell you, okay, you need to you need to flip it, you need to steep it, you, know, you need to plunge. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I've been in touch with that developer since launch of that app, and it's uh, it is a great little tool. 
relatively <laughs> simple, but then you can like pick your favorite recipes and try new things. It has both inverted and upright. Yeah, that one's good. I'll add that in as a secondary 1B. <laughs> All right. All right. So my first pick is going to be a cookbook that I picked up recently called Plenty by, and I don't know how to say his name. I've only read it, but uh, Yotam Adelengi, uh, Y-O-T-A-M. And uh, it is some of the most ingenious. This particular cookbook, Plenty, is a mostly veg- almost entirely vegetarian recipes. Uh, but he has another one called The Cookbook that is uh, a little bit of both herbivore and carnivore. Um, well, I suppose you just call it omnivore recipes. Um <laughs> But he does, my interest in him was piqued by an article in GQ called How Chef Yotam Adelengi Reset the Table. And I'll link that. But it talks about like some of the combinations that he, he creates. And these are all recipes that, for the most part, I can buy everything I need at local co-op. And, um, but they're insanely creative blends of spice and sweet and mint and yeah it's been uh it's food porn like the cookbook <laughs> is huge and i just tend to flip open to any page and there are full page photos of the dishes for most of them and just let my mouth water until i find something that is convenient with <laughs> ingredients i currently have and yeah it's insanely cool Nice. This this does look pretty cool. Yeah, if you like cooking at all, these are very oh, out of the norm. A lot of them are kind of they're based on classic uh like dishes from different uh ethnic cookbooks, but then twisted and yeah. It's, it's brilliant. I would recommend both that and the cookbook, but we'll make plenty my top pick. <laughs> All right, so what's your number two? All right, my number two is the Life Straw Go water bottle. And this is by a company called Earth Easy. And it is a sports water bottle that has a filter, which filters out pretty much everything in terms of bacteria. And so you may have heard of the term Life Straw because. Survivor Man used to use it when he'd get dropped in the middle of nowhere. He'd have his life straw and he'd be drinking water out of like muddy rivers and stuff like that. Um, so same principle, but it's in a water bottle form. And I love this when I travel anywhere because I can get water from just about anywhere in the water bottle. It's going to filter it out. Uh, another cool thing about the Earth Easy company in the life straw in particular is that when you buy one of these, they also donate one kind of like Tom's to, uh, to uh, I forget specifically where they do it, but on the website they say that a child in a developing country receives clean, safe drinking water for an entire school year whenever you, uh, you buy a Life Straw product. So That's impressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for just pennies a day, you can provide clean <laughs> drinking water. Um, so when I was a kid, I was obsessed with survival. Like it was not because I felt like 
I needed it. I just found it extremely fascinating. I'd buy like the I'd go to the Army surplus store, and they'd always have the old FM manuals, uh, like Army manuals on survival and wilderness tactics for shelter and food and things like that. And got really into it. And at some point, survivalist became equated with like right wing conspiracy theorist. <laughs> And I kind of shied away from that. Um, you don't have a bunker, do you? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not a survivalist. <laughs> I I just use it to grab easy drinking water. I try to drink a lot of water throughout the day. Yeah. Um, well, and that's and excellent. This is, this is the easiest way for me to do it. Uh, you know, I will, at my office, I will go grab water from pretty much any tap and I'll get strange looks from people. You know, as I'm refilling my water bottle in the bathroom, like, you're really going to drink that? So (laughs) (laughs) would you feel safe with this, like, drinking straight out of a stream through this? Yeah, that's that's the idea behind the the product. And LifeStraw, this is, like, one product that they have. Most of their other products are that particular use case. So people will sometimes hear the term life straw and they'll they'll have the exact same picture that you just painted of like a survivalist <laughs> which is not me at all you drop me in the middle of the wilderness i'm not gonna last very long but <laughs> i feel like i would i feel like i studied enough as a kid and i got all the survival related merit badges in boy scouts and i i, I think i could make it for quite a while i'm looking forward to like if trump becomes president i'm ready I have all the skills to like move to the backwoods and and deal with this. But uh, this is actually fascinating to me because recently hiking in the mountains of North Carolina, I kept seeing like amazing rivers and streams and waterfalls and realizing I didn't feel safe drinking from any of them uh, and would really have liked to. So, yeah, I could definitely go for this. Sweet. All right. So where am I? Uh, my number two. Uh, I just found this today and I haven't actually used it yet, but I'm kind of fascinated by the idea. It's called Parallel and you can find it at Parallel.fm. And it's a way to jointly listen to Spotify uh, with someone else remotely. <laughs> so I, I, while I don't have anyone immediately in mind who I would love to kind of like tap into whatever they're listening to at the moment. Like, I mean, yeah, you can share a playlist, but there's something interesting about the immediacy of this is what someone else is listening to right now. And just letting that be in the background instead of watching the social sidebar and the Spotify app. Um, So I'm going to make that a pick because it's something I want to try. I just have to figure out who I'm going to give the other half to. So is this something that, you can just use to listen to music that people you follow, whatever in Spotify are are listening to, or is this something where you could literally kind of hack Spotify to listen from two separate locations? I believe I, I don't. Let's see. So as far as I can tell, it is more the latter. Uh, <laughs> like you basically, okay. you have someone else run it. You you connect, and then I'm assuming one person controls the playlist i think you could probably add things to like a a mutual playlist and uh, and just kind of listen to music with each other so it's i believe specific to like one other person 
like uh, team listening. I'll have to try it. We'll, we'll find out. Because if this solves, because I see people all the time where they'll be listening to Spotify and then they'll be like, oh, just shut off. My my significant other must have loaded up at home or something like that. It looks like maybe this would solve that problem. Maybe. <laughs> that would I, be I'm cool. not sure. I wonder if you could use it for like a simulated full home audio too, where you just have like multiple computers and you play a Spotify list from one and all the other computers in your house with whatever speakers continue. That could be cool. Yeah. Although no one else in this home, uh, which includes my wife and three dogs and three cats, two dogs and three cats, <laughs> none of them appreciate my musical taste. So that might not be the best idea. It's probably best confined to whatever room I'm in. So, yeah, nix that consideration. <laughs> I prefer it. I, I my my fascination with it is more like remote listening with someone that I share musical interests with or whose musical interests I'm fascinated by and just want to know like what they're listening to on a daily basis, not the curated playlists they send me, but just what sure. they're actually listening to. That would be not fun. what people say they listen to, but right. what they actually listen to. <laughs> Which is why, like, I love Last FM because I don't want to. I can tell people what I like, but what I actually listen to is often far more eclectic than what I will tell them. My favorites are, and sure, Last FM with you know basically creates analytics quantifies what you're actually listening to as long as you're scrobbling. I kind of like that. And I, I, I display that information. I share that because if someone asks, I can, you know, without having to uh, mentally censor what I'm listening to, whether it's Taylor Swift or death metal, I, you know, <laughs> like I can actually just say, here's, here's what I do, which I feel is honest. I like honesty. Mm -hmm. Me too. Despite not being religious, I think honesty is maybe one of the best possible characteristics of a person. <laughs> All right. Except some people are just, you, you don't want them to be honest. There are times where you just want someone to lie to you. And you, you, you ask yourself <laughs> after they tell you something honest that ruins your day. And you're like, I didn't need to know that. Mm -hmm. I, okay. So honesty with a filter. That's what I'm saying. All right. I get in trouble sometimes because I tend to be, I tend to fall into that camp where I am just brutally honest to the point where it can uh, come across harsh sometimes. You've heard this show. <laughs> I suffer from that. <laughs> um, all right. So what's your number three? All right. My number three is an iOS game that I actually found out about through John Voorhees over at Mac Stories called Reigns. R-E-I-G-N-S. And it is by Devolver Digital. And the premise of this game, it's really, really simple. You are a king or a line of, of kings in this game. And you have these people that will pop up with as cards. And you either swipe left to choose one outcome or swipe right to choose a different outcome. And each decision that you make affects the four criteria that are constantly being evaluated to make sure that you remain in power. So 
you have to make sure there's enough money in the treasury. You have to make sure that the army is strong enough. You have to make sure that the people like you enough, and then you have to maintain good standing with the church. So it's a very medieval setting. And you really just try to stay in power as long as you can until one of those runs out and then in the game, you die some untimely death. <laughs> but when you die, then the next king takes over and you're back in the exact same situation. So you're constantly just trying to see how long you can stay in power based on these different decisions that you make. So it's a really simple game mechanic, but it is, I don't know, it's, it's pretty addicting. It's pretty cool. And I think it's like three bucks on the app store. It is three dollars. Um, I'm assuming you are too young to have much experience with text-based games. Uh, a little bit, uh, not a not a ton of experience. This reminds me a lot of a game on uh, PC Junior, circa 1984, called Zile, and it okay. would present these same kinds of questions. You would make your choice, choose your own story style, but. Uh, then would determine that you had made the wrong choice or a series of wrong choices that led to an untimely death. This seems a little <laughs> smarter, like as far as um, artificial intelligence, like actually having multiple criteria for a bad choice. It's not so much we laid a trap and you took it. Yeah, exactly. There's what you what you decide will influence future decisions so it'll it'll change the cards that come up next but there isn't one that's just like you made a wrong decision game over you have to load from your previous save point because even if you die in this game like you take over again as the next king in the line and the game just kind of keeps going intriguing yeah i like this idea uh is it something you can play for very short periods at a time and just continue Yep. Yeah. I mean, it just basically saves where you are when you leave off. And for the most part, it's kind of like a turn-based strategy game. It's where uh, a lot of the, nothing's going to change until you make a, a decision. There are a couple like quote unquote mini games in there where there's some, some uh, sword dueling you'll do and stuff like that, where uh, it's, your responses have to be more timely. But for the most part, you can just kind of play at your own pace, which is probably one of the reasons I really like it. I never really got into the real-time strategy games. Uh, I always was more of like a civilization type of guy myself. Sure. But Does it have any social features? I don't believe so, other than I noticed it says, welcome back to Game Center when you log in. <laughs> <laughs> I have... Um... I've noticed, like, I've never considered myself a social gamer. I, the competition always, I think, just wasn't worth the investment to me. But lately, I've been getting into games. I, lately, I feel silly playing any games that don't have some competition to them with actual people. Um, like, I enjoy, like, basic video games for just killing some time. But... Games like uh, Dungeon Boss have really taken over most of my game playing time because there's this constant need to like go check the leaderboard and go attack people and feel like you've actually not accomplished something but taken part in something rather than just having wasted time. Um, sure. But there is definitely a place in my heart for anything slightly more complex than you know a game of tetris <laughs> although tetris can fit into that too if it were competitive true 
Yeah. All right. So, Reigns, definitely check that out. Plus, John Voorhees is awesome. So, how could I not? He's he's a good guy. <laughs> All right. So, my last pick is this. It's the new version of something I've mentioned before, and I may have mentioned this already as something not in top picks, but I'm making an official top pick, the Mike Flip 2, which, contrary to any assumptions based around the name, is a USB cable, and it is for, uh, like, micro USB, which, you know, every camera and every device that's not lightning these days seems to use uh, micro USB. And the original version was a type A USB that you plug into your hub or your computer. And then the micro end of it was reversible. So no matter which way you put it in, it would fit. And that was to me a revelation because especially with those smaller USB ends, you have to look pretty close to see which way the angles are going. If you're going to get it right on the fright on the first try. Um, and I found them infinitely frustrating so this was basically like the lightning version of the micro usb now with version two the other end is also reversible uh so the <laughs> you know the standard usb end that would plug into your computer it you'll never get it wrong because it goes in either way and that to me is the way usb should have always been and you don't realize how amazing it is until you reach to put... Do you, you ever plug in USB and realize that you always get it wrong on the first try? Yeah, pretty much 100% of the time I get it wrong. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know how... It seems like it should be a 50-50 chance, but I almost always stick it in the wrong way and then have to flip. This, this solves that, and I, I'm amazed by it. This looks amazing. Yeah, because even when I look at the actual casing to try to figure out, is this the top or the bottom? Right. I will still get it wrong unless I look inside the actual contact to see. (laughs) Right. And there's some consistency. The side with the USB symbol is usually the top, but that's even inconsistent. It's like old Dell computers where everything they did was upside down for the rest of the industry and infinitely frustrating if you were working on multiple machines. Um, so yeah, this is, this is the solution. Just make it not matter anymore. So (laughs) you can get a, you can get a six foot cable for 20 bucks from Amazon. I'll add a link. I don't know how many sizes it comes in. They sent me a, uh, a review model. Full disclosure. I got this one for free. Um, (laughs) but totally worth talking about. All right. That was the good top three picks. I always have things <laughs> to check out after these. It's fun. Um, so you can be found on Twitter with a completely unintuitive um, handle of Bobblehead Joe. Yep. Yeah, it's one of those things that I probably should have changed a long time ago, but I didn't, and now it just seems more work than it's worth to <laughs> to change it. Yeah, I don't even I, I don't know how Twitter handles handle changes. Do do people that follow you then lose you as a do you just disappear if you change your handle? I don't even know. Uh, I don't I don't know. I will stick with mine. It's a branding thing. 
(laughs) (laughs) Again, a completely unintuitive branding thing where I constantly have to explain what my handle means. But, all right. um, And then where can you be found on the web? You can find links to just about everything that I do at my personal site, which is mikeschmitz.me. But most of my writing and content that I create can be found over at asianefficiency.com. I've got a couple of podcasts, too, that I am involved with. Uh, Bookworm with Joe Bulig. That's at bookworm.fm. And the official Asian Efficiency podcast is The Productivity Show, which you can find at theproductivityshow.com. All right. And let's see. Yeah, that, that covers it unless you... Oh, and I'll, I'll add a link to uh, Thou Shalt Hustle. Anything else you want to directly link in the show notes? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's, that's good. Like I said, most of the stuff can be found at my, my personal site. So you can dig around in there and, and find my stuff over on the suite setup, uh, the site for Thou Shalt Hustle and everything else that I've, I've done uh, over at, at MikeSchmitz.me. Perfect. And uh, I am Brett Terpstra uh, at BrettTerpstra.com with three T's in the middle of it. And I'm TT Scuff everywhere else. And I really should just start including that if you go to ttscoff.com, that will get you to brettterpster.com so you don't <laughs> have to spell that awkward name the first time. Um, and let's see. Yeah, I think that wraps it up, doesn't it? Uh, sounds good to me. Thanks for having me. Did I miss anything majorly important? No, I don't think so. This is fun. All right. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. And thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you in a week.